0: I invite you to turn to Romans chapter eight this evening. If this morning we considered a maybe an unfamiliar passage, tonight we turn to a very familiar passage, Romans eight, to read the first seventeen verses as we consider, uh, Lord's day twenty, about the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, at verse 1, the God-breathed, the trustworthy, infallible scriptures. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Verse 14 once more says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. If you turn from the Scriptures to the Church's Confession in the Forms and Prayers book, page 221, Two hundred twenty-one. then you're at Lord's Day 20 at the bottom there. And the Catechism at this point is explaining the various articles of the Apostles' Creed, page 221. And so it's asked, now, what do you believe when you make this confession concerning the Holy Spirit? Two things, first, that the Spirit with the Father and the Son, is eternal God. Second, that he is given also to me, so that through true faith he makes me share in Christ and all his benefits, comforts me, and will remain with me forever. Let's bow before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to come and teach us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you who love to declare to us the things of Christ, to grant us that blessed union with the Savior, we pray that you would be present through your inspired scriptures to teach us your truth. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, congregation, each Sunday we confess the Apostles' Creed or one of the creeds that we have sung it, of course. and. We we make a confession of a of a triune God Father Son and Spirit we have one God existing in three persons each of whom is true God and yet they are distinct persons of the Godhead the Father the Son and the Spirit we don't make that confession from a distance as some mere abstract theological idea but but we make that as those who who hold it closely right in fact we. We have received at baptism not just the knowledge of that name, but we've had that that name written upon our lives. We've been baptized into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, and into the name of the Holy Spirit. And In baptism, of course, we have the great promise, the washing away of sins. But we also have the promise that God will be our Father, and we have the promise that the Holy Spirit will be given to us to make us partakers of Christ. Tonight, as we consider the doctrine of God, the Holy Spirit, I'd like to to focus upon a personal benefit of of the Spirit that each of God's children is promised. An astounding privilege of being God's children. It's the the leading of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't just forgive our sins and wash us clean, but he promises to guide us, to to keep us, to lead us by the Spirit. God is a father to us. Christ is a shepherd to us. The Spirit will lead you, God says. That's what we want to look at tonight. Uh, Romans 8.14 again says that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I'd like to ask, first of all, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Secondly, who is the Spirit who leads us? And then thirdly, how does he lead us? What's the manner of his leading us? Well, first of all, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? If you hear that phrase, maybe you don't hear a lot in, in in our circles, right? In a reformed church, but maybe you hear it as you talk to Christians elsewhere, and maybe it scares you a bit because you've probably heard people saying rather boldly, "The Spirit led me." And what it often suggests when people say that is a kind of leading of the Spirit that that doesn't have a whole lot to do with the Scriptures, but has to do with the peculiar feeling that they have with some thoughts that that they have come to their mind with a particular direction, sometimes even with the idea of a a dream or some sort of sign. The Spirit led me. It's a very dangerous thing. We have no right to expect any special revelation from God. The only way the Spirit leads us is by the Word of God. This is is His tool. This is His instrument. And so when it comes to decision-making and guidance, that kind of Spirit leading, then then we are to search the Scriptures. We're to pray to the Spirit to illuminate the Scriptures. We're to ask the Spirit to to give us good judgment in using the Scriptures. And yes, we can pray that in the circumstances and providence of God, He may so direct things that we're led in the right way, and the, the best things for His glory and for the good of His children happen. But we should not be afraid to use the language of being led by the Spirit as Romans 8 uses it. In Romans 8, verse 14, the leading of the Spirit is not really talking about the kind of guidance for decision-making that we often think of when we talk about being led by the Spirit. The leading of the Spirit in Romans 8, 14, is the equivalent of one word, sanctification. The putting sin to death, the crushing, the rejection of sin. And you you see that very clearly because verse 14 follows the, the previous two verses where the apostle has said in verse 12, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh or the sinful nature to live according to it. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live For, there's a conjunction, verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, the apostle in verse 13 makes it clear it's a matter of life and death. A matter of life and death. If you live according to your sinful nature, you will die eternally. If you live by the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. You will live eternally so, so there's, there's cursing, there's blessing. It calls for a, a, an essential and, and direct decision of our lives. For whom shall we live? What, what path will we choose? Will we walk willingly in sin or will we reject sin? And It's in that context here where a right choice must be made because where we will spend eternity is at stake. If we willingly go on living in selfishness, If we go on refusing to curb our tongues, if we go on bowing down to our idols, we will die, but if we go to war against the sinful nature and we renounce the old life, then we will live, in that context comes the word, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. None of us would choose the way of life left to ourselves. None of us would choose Christ in the pathway of obedience left to ourselves. We are by nature those who go astray. And so the leading here that's being spoken of is not not God help me to choose whether to buy a red car or a black car. The leading that's spoken of here is being led in the path of righteousness to renounce sin and walk with Christ. You have the same thing, the same language in Galatians 5 verse 18 But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And there the context also is a contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The next words that follow in Galatians. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, so forth. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth. To be led by the Spirit is sanctification. It's a life lived, set apart to the holiness of God. And so we don't need to be afraid to say, I am led by the Spirit. If you are a son, a daughter of God, if you are a Christian, you are led by the Spirit. The language is not to be employed, as if we have some special direct connection to get revelation from God about all decision making. We know exactly what to do because the Spirit tells me, and we know what everybody else should do because the Spirit tells us for that too. No, That's not promised in the Word. But this leading of renouncing sin belongs to every child of God. We are led by the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, the Apostle says, you do not belong to Christ. And if you do belong to Christ, you are led by the Spirit. Well, who is the Spirit? Let's think about that secondly tonight. Who is the Spirit? Three things we want to consider here. First of all, he's the Spirit of God. Secondly, he's the Spirit of Christ. And thirdly, he's the Spirit given to the Christian. First of all, he's the Spirit of God. We have to confess that tonight, that this one who leads us is is none other than God himself. It's the third person of the Trinity. It's the one who is worshipped and glorified with the Father and the Son. It is God, the Holy Spirit. It is the eternal and almighty creator. This is the one who leads us. He's not an it. It's a he. It's not some he's not some some mere force or power. We've spoken before how the so-called Jehovah's Witnesses think that the Holy Spirit is simply the arm of God or the strength of God or the power of God. And so the spirit in their minds is not much more than electricity or some real powerful force. But, but that's not it. The spirit of God in the Bible is a spirit who is a person of the Godhead who can be grieved by our sin. He is God. He, he he's one who knows us and can be known. He's the almighty creator who hovered over the waters the of the creation. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's not the Father who eternally begets the Son. He's not the Son who's eternally begotten of the Father. But He is the Spirit who proceeds, who's spirated, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. That's the nature of their eternal relationships. Eternally, the Son is begotten of the Father, eternally begets. And eternally, the Spirit is proceeding from Father and Son. And it's the role of the Holy Spirit in terms of creation to organize, to perfect, to bring to completion. It's the role of the Holy Spirit in redemption, to renew, to perfect, glorify. He's the Spirit of God. The one who leads you is God, the third person of the Godhead. But secondly, he's the Spirit of Christ. Notice in Romans 8 that this Spirit, in verse 9, is called both the Spirit of God, and then he's called again in verse 9 the Spirit of Christ. It's an obvious sign of the unity of the Godhead. Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Christ is God. But I think it's more than that. The Spirit of Christ is the Spirit that was given to Christ to equip him in his human nature for ministry. This Spirit was poured out on Jesus at his baptism, and it, it endowed him with strength. To do the things he did to minister on earth and even to die on the cross. And Jesus having died on the cross for our sins, this spirit has become the spirit of Christ. Remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up to explain these signs of the spirits outpouring, speaking in foreign languages and so forth. And and Peter says in Acts 2.32, this Jesus... God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. It's Jesus whom you killed, God raised up. Being raised up now is the victor, he receives from the Father the Spirit, And he's poured out the Spirit, and that's why you see and hear these things in Jerusalem, Peter says. The Holy Spirit is the property of Jesus Christ. And so 1 Corinthians 15 can say in verse 45, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. God breathed into him. The last Adam, that's Jesus, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The Spirit and Christ are almost identified. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. It's the Spirit of Christ. Spirit and Christ are almost, they're two distinct persons of the Godhead. They are united in one singular service. God sent his Son to accomplish redemption. to secure cure for us, this great benefit of God the Spirit. Hermann Boving writes of this, That Christ possesses, quote, full and free command over the Holy Spirit and over all the gifts and powers of that Spirit so that he can now share it with whom he will and in the measure that he will, not in conflict naturally but quite in accordance with the will of the Father and the will of the Spirit. For the Son sends the Spirit of the Father and the Father sends the Spirit in the name of the Son. So Christ has gained for us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He has won this gift for us. And the Spirit delights to be sent as the Spirit of Christ to give us the things of the Lord Jesus, to proclaim to us our Savior and His accomplishments, to bring us into fellowship, living union through faith with Jesus Christ. That's the great work of the Holy Spirit. So He is the Spirit of God, but through Christ now He comes to us as the Spirit of Christ to lead us to the Savior, to unite us to the Savior, to give us the riches of the Savior. And so He is thirdly, then we say, He is the Spirit given to us, given to the Christian. In the Catechism, we we make this statement. Second, that He's also given to me. So that through true faith he makes me share in Christ and all his benefits. That's important because all of Christ and all of his benefits are are of no value to us unless there's a connection between us and Jesus. And that connection is the bond of the Spirit, the bond of faith. And so the Spirit brings us into that. He changes our hearts, he causes us to be born again. He resurrects us from the dead spiritually speaking. And we need that. To have received the Spirit is to have received Christ. If you have not received the Spirit, you do not have Christ. If you have Christ, it's only because He's poured out His Spirit upon you. All Christ's benefits belong to Jesus. Christ's benefits, forgiveness of sins and life eternal and all that Christ has for us, they're not, they're not so many benefits stored up somewhere in some, some storage house or some bank. All Christ's benefits are intimately connected to Christ. You only have them when you have Christ, when you have fellowship with Jesus, and only the Spirit can put you in that fellowship. So, who has the Spirit? All the sons and daughters of God, every believer. The leading of the Spirit. The leading of the Spirit is not something that belongs to a select few of Christians. You know, I'm a Spirit-led Christian. No, there's only one kind of Christian. And that's the Christian who is led by the Spirit. One who has that gift from Jesus Christ. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So the Spirit is the common possession. It's the, it's the definitive mark of what it means to be a Christian. It's that essential thing. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Christ Jesus. And the life without the Spirit is death. It's bondage. The apostle says very clearly, right, that verse 7, the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, the mind that's still under the power of the sinful nature is enmity against God. Naturally, we are... We are enemies of God. We are hostile to God. And that mind cannot subject, be subject to the law of God. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You observe the life of an unbeliever, one who doesn't have the spirit. You are observing the life of someone who can't please God. They are a slave to sin. They are not led by the Spirit, but they are governed by their own sinful desires, their own sinful thoughts, their own sinful appetites. But Christ, by his death, by his perfect life, has obtained for us God, the Spirit, sent now as our great rescuer. And So the gift of the Spirit is not a cause for pride, but... A cause for humility. Benjamin Warfield, the, the great Princeton seminary theologian, died in 1921. He makes that point in a message he preached at the chapel of the theological seminary at Princeton. He, he said, It is obviously a mistake, therefore, to look upon the claim to be led by God's Spirit as an evidence of spiritual pride. It is rather the mark of spiritual humility. This leading of the Spirit is not some peculiar gift reserved for special sanctity and granted as the reward of high merit alone. It is the common gift poured out on all God's children to meet their common need and is the evidence, therefore, of their common weakness and their common unworthiness. In its absence, we should remain hopelessly the children of the devil. By its presence alone, we are constituted the children of God. Those who boast, I'm led by the Spirit, don't know what it means to be led by the Spirit. To say I'm led by the Spirit is to say, apart from the Spirit, I love sin. Apart from the Spirit, I hate God. Apart from the Spirit, I am destined to destruction. To say I'm led by the Spirit is to say that the Spirit of God has given me what I could never found for myself. He's rescued me. He's given me life. And so we're to pray for that gift of the Spirit. Jesus promised that all who ask the Father will be freely given the Spirit. Speaking of baptism, we are to pray, aren't we, that the children of the church will have the Spirit. Do you pray that? Do you pray that for your children, for your grandchildren? That God will give them the Holy Spirit because apart from the Spirit, they are slaves to their sinful flesh. We're all hopelessly lost apart from the Spirit. But this spirit is no attainment of ours, it is the gift of God. He convicts us of sin. We'd never feel, we'd never feel for conviction for sin. We'd never feel hatred for sin. We'd never know we've offended God if the spirit didn't weigh upon us. And the spirit leads us to Christ. We would never see the beauty of Christ. We'd never be attracted by Jesus. We'd never be convinced that he's the savior we need and the one who's willing to receive us if it weren't for the spirit. But the Spirit draws us. He leads us away from our self-righteousness. He leads us to faith in Jesus. He leads us to walk with Christ. So the leading of the Spirit is sanctification. It's to put sin to death. The Spirit is the Spirit of God. He's God himself. He's the Spirit of Christ sent by our Savior. And he's the Spirit given to the believer. But finally tonight, how are we led by the Spirit? How are we led by the Spirit? And I mean here the manner of his leading, not really the tools of his leading. The tools of his leading, as I said before, is the word of God. You don't find the Spirit anywhere else. If you want to meet the Spirit, you find him in the word. You find him in the ministry of his word, the preaching of the word, the sacraments. You find him in the reading of your Bible. This is where you find the Spirit. Okay, but how how does the Spirit lead us? What's the, the nature or the manner of the way in which he leads us through this word let me mention five things. Number one, he leads us jealously. God's a jealous God. We know that, right? God proclaims that about himself. He's a jealous God. He cares about his glory. He cares about his glory in your life. He cares about his children. He guards them and keeps them. He, we read in James that the Spirit yearns for us jealously. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians... For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And the Spirit is more jealous than the Apostle Paul was. It's actually the Spirit who is speaking through Paul, right? He's jealous to present us on that last day to Christ as a pure and holy bride. When he leads us, to crush sin, to die to sin, to renounce sin. He is jealous for our lives. But secondly, the Spirit's leading is powerful. It's powerful. He is God. He does no shoddy work. He takes no half measures. He is, according to Romans 8, verse 11, no one other than the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead and now dwells in you. The very Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, the Apostle says. And so he, he's not just an advisor. He doesn't casually tell you, you know, go down the road and take a left. He, he's with you. He's with you powerfully to bring you illuminating the way, opening our blind eyes, moving our hearts. But thirdly, his leading is constant. He leads us constantly. His, his leading is not sporadic. It's not that he interjects into our lives here and there, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. We don't know when we'll see him. But because our need is constant, he is constant. We're always being led by the Spirit. In fact, the Apostle writes, Romans 8, 14, in the present tense, for as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. One commentator puts it, the daily, hourly, putting to death of the scheming and enterprises of the sinful nature by means of the Spirit is a matter of being led, directed, impelled, and controlled by the Spirit. The daily, hourly, putting to death of sin. Number four, the Spirit leads us cooperatively. And that is to say, that his leading is not one of coercion or treating us as stocks and blocks and moving us here and there apart from our will, our mind, our heart. But his way of leading is is leading us as, as human beings, as those renewed in the image of God. He's not dragging a dead weight towards a goal. He is leading active participants who who are on the march making their, their pilgrimage. B.B. Warfield again said it like this, One is not led who is unconscious of the road over which he advances. In that case, you'd be carried. If you're advancing down the road and you have no ideas about the bumps and the bruises, then you're you're not conscious. But that's not what leading is. He who is led treads the road himself, is aware of its roughness and its steepness, pants with effort which he expends, Is appalled by the prospect of the difficulties that open out before him, rejoices in the progress made, and is filled with exultant hope as each danger and obstacle is safely surmounted. To be led by the Spirit is not that you get on the bus and go to the back row and go to sleep while the Spirit drives you to heaven. To be led by the Spirit is to be actively engaged over a rough road, feeling the bumps panting heavily as you as you climb the steeps it's to be one who is engaged by the spirit for battle for running your race so the spirit is leading you but you are the one who is walking When we face difficulties in the Christian life, it's not a a sign that we're not being led by the Spirit. If you you have a conflict in your life between the sin that tugs at you and your knowledge of what you ought to do and what you and your inner man want to do, that conflict is not a sign that you don't have the Spirit. It's the sign that you do have the Spirit. The Spirit is causing you to not be friends with sin, but to be hostile to sin. The Spirit is causing you not to be hostile to God, but to be friends with God. And therefore, there is a battle inside. You're wrestling against the sinful nature. You're wrestling against Satan. You're wrestling against the world's temptations. This is the Christian life to which the Holy Spirit calls you to be engaged, convicts you, leads you in the truth. Those tensions we feel are the evidences of the presence of God, the Spirit in our lives, the Spirit of Christ. I think I said I had five things. I actually have six. Number five, he leads us tenderly. What a blessed line in the the catechism when it says that he comforts me. Remember Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another to be with you. Another paraclete, another comforter. The Spirit is... The Spirit of Christ. Is Christ a gentle shepherd? Did Christ speak words saying, do not fear, little children, little flock. Your Father will give to you the the kingdom. Did Did Christ say to you, don't be anxious about what you'll eat or drink or wear. Your Father knows your needs. The Spirit is the same thing. He's the Spirit of Christ. And he comforts us. In fact, Romans 8 is so meaningful to us, isn't it? And it's so memorable to us because because it's so filled with these rich comforts. Not only does it speak about the Spirit over and over and over? It makes clear it's the Spirit who is ministering to us this comfort. The Spirit is testifying to us that we are God's children. Remember, maybe I said from the pulpit, but I read somewhere that in the early centuries when when a Roman general came back from from being victorious at at battle and he he rode through the town on parades as they would have and all the people would come out and scream his praises and cheer for him that a slave was appointed to ride in the chariot with him and to repeat to him over and over you are a man not a god you are a man not a god as if to keep him humble but you see, as we make our way through this world, we, we are not heroes and people cheering for us, are we? We're, we're often those, as Paul says in Romans 8, we're, those, we're counted as sheep to the slaughter. But God the Holy Spirit is with us, not saying you are a man, not a God, but he's saying to us over and over, you are a son and not an orphan. You are a daughter and not an orphan. The world can beat on you. Satan can attack you. Your sinful nature can weigh you down. But you are a son of God. You are not an orphan. And the Spirit cries out with our spirits. That we are children of God. The Spirit leads us to to cry out in bold prayer. Abba, Father. Knowing that we'll be heard. He's a tender comforter. Finally tonight, the Spirit leads us unfailingly. We confess in Lord's Day 20 that He will remain with me forever. Remain with me forever. The Spirit in the Bible is the seal of our redemption. He has sealed us for the great day of Christ's coming. He will never be withdrawn from us. When when Christ gives the Spirit to His people, He never summons them to leave them. But He has promised to be with us to the very end. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so the Spirit won't give up. He's leading us all the way until we arrive in glory. We're always being led by the Spirit. We're always accompanied by Him up to the very day of redemption. Christ has gone into heaven to make a, a home for us there. And He's spent the Spirit into us on earth to make a home for God in us here. The Spirit will keep working. He will not abandon the works of His hands. But He will bring it all to completion. Christian life is essentially life in the Spirit. It's the Spirit who started this all. He, He came in and gave us a new heart. Regeneration. The Spirit is the one who's leading us. Sanctification. Putting sin to death. And on that great day of Christ's coming, the Spirit will glorify us. He will perfect us. So that we may live with God forever don't be afraid of saying that you are led by the spirit but let it be clearly known to all what that really means not a special channel of revelation from heaven but the confession that i'm a weak sinner my only hope is this that god lives in me that he sanctify me That he's strengthening me every day, that he's granting me power to put sin to death and more and more to renounce the old way and to follow Jesus, the way of life. To believe on the one who died for my sins and rose victoriously and now gives me his resurrection power, his spirit, that I may follow him all the way to glory. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you praise and thanks for such a glorious gift As God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, may He fill our lives and may we not grieve Him. We rejoice that that there's nowhere we can go, but the Spirit is there. Where can we flee from His presence? Will God give to us the firm knowledge that our life is hour by hour, moment by moment, led by God the Spirit. That we would cry out for His help and power, that we would be sensitive to His convictions that we would be people of the word, for that is his tool. And may he bring us all the way to glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.